great hand while he comes to minister the word of God to us tonight. Amen. Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise tonight. Amen. How many is glad to be in the house of the Lord? Amen. There's not a greater place than you could ever find yourself in. Amen. Than the exact place that we're in right now. And uh, before we get into the word of the Lord, um, just allow me to say that it is an honor to be here tonight and uh, to be here with this great church and uh, such a beautiful church building. My first time to be here, first time to meet your pastor, but uh, we've spoken uh, a few times over the phone and uh, give you honor tonight, uh, Brother Pruitt, and uh, the work that you're doing here. And uh, I uh, know a couple of your friends on up north, uh, Brother Stratton and uh, B Brother Beecher, and um, just uh, just anything they've ever said about you in this church has been uh, just nothing but top-notch, and uh, it is an honor for me to be here tonight and uh, give each and every one of you honor tonight for coming to the house of the Lord. Because if we didn't have anybody to show up, there'd be no reason to open the doors. But I'm glad that we have people in the house of God who, uh, who still desire to come to the house of the Lord. You know, we're living in a day and hour where it seems like church is getting less and less popular and uh, less and less attended. But uh, I still believe in that scripture that says, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. Amen. Because there's something powerful that happens when we come to church. Amen. There's something, just something unique that happens, you know. We've all been in those moments in our life when it seems like uh, discouraged, depressed, upset. But just one trip to the house of the Lord, it seems like it changed everything. Whether it be the song or the, uh, the message or whatever it was, uh, there's power in coming to the house of God. Amen. And I'm thankful to have a place where I can come to. Thankful that I have a place that I can come worship the only name that is a, under heaven given among men. Amen. Whereby we must be saved. Amen. If you would stand with me very quickly, I'll go to the word of the Lord. Matthew chapter 26. Amen. And we'll just, we'll just see what the Lord will want to do in this house tonight. Amen. I feel his presence in the house. Amen. I feel his spirit in the house. And I believe every time we come to the house of God, uh, that's just another opportunity for us to leave changed. And I want to leave changed tonight. Amen. I want to leave. I want to leave better. I want to leave different than what I was when I walked in. Right. Amen. Because the church is an agent of change. Yes. Amen. And I'm thankful for the change that it's made in my life, and it continues to make in my life. Right. Amen. Matthew chapter 26, starting with verse number 14. The Bible says, "Then one of the twelve, called Judas Iscariot, went unto the chief priests." And said unto them, What will you give me, and I will deliver him unto you? And they coveted with him, or they reasoned with him, for thirty pieces of silver. And from that time, he sought opportunity to betray him. The thing that speaks to me more than anything else are the first five words that I read to you in verse number 14. When the Bible says, Then one of the twelve. Not somebody who had no idea who Jesus was. Not somebody who just stood off by the wayside somewhere and had just an idea of Jesus. But the Bible says then one of the twelve, someone who was close to him. Someone who knew the heartbeat of Jesus. Somebody who knew the motives and the passion that he had. Then one of the twelve. 
I've come to tell us tonight that it takes more than just being in the presence of God for us to be changed. If we're going to leave this house tonight different, if we're going to allow the Holy Ghost to help some people in this house, it's going to take more than for us just coming to the house of God and sitting on a pew and saying, well, I went to church tonight. But there's somewhere in this service tonight, somebody has got to make a connection and somebody's got to recognize that he is in the house and we've got to see him for who he really is. Amen. I want to preach to us tonight about a slave or a savior. A slave or a savior. It'll make sense in just a few minutes. Let's lift our hands all over the house before we're seated. And I wonder if we all as a collective body right now could join together in prayer and begin to ask the Lord to help us in this house right now. Lord, I know that there's needs in this house. God, I know there's people in this house, God, who has needs in their life, and you're the only one who can bring about the change that we need, God. And I pray that your spirit in this house will begin to move and minister. Lord, we can't do anything, but God, you're able to do everything. And God, I pray that we would release you in this house to do the things that you want to do in this house. In Jesus' name, let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise tonight. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. It is in the Gospels of Matthew and Luke where we read of that fateful day when a baby named Jesus takes his first breath. Within the first two chapters of each Gospel in Matthew and Luke's writings, they both record for us the day that the world was forever changed. Everything that had happened since the fall in the garden had led up into this moment. Prophets and patriarchs had spoke about the day of this particular moment. It was Moses who prophetically spoke about a day when a prophet was going to be raised from the midst of the people. It was David who prophetically wrote songs about a coming Messiah and how he would be crucified for the sins of mankind. Uh, it was Isaiah who stepped into a prophetic vein at times, uh, and throughout his book he made mention of how this coming Messiah would be born of a virgin, how he would be disfigured for our healing, uh, and how he would shed his blood for our sins. Uh, it was the prophet Micah who spoke to Jerusalem uh, and told them that their city would be, in fact, the birthplace uh, of this Messiah. From Genesis up until now, there had been countless prophetic utterances uh, that were made about a day uh, when this Savior was going to be born. Uh, if you would begin to study the, the, the Old Testament, uh, you would find out that men and women uh, who lived throughout the Old Testament, they actually foreshadowed uh, the arrival of this coming Messiah from Joseph delivering his people uh, uh, to Jonah spending three days and nights uh, in the belly of a fish. Uh, the Old Testament is full of types and shadows uh, depicting the day uh, when Jesus was going to be born. Uh, and in Matthew and Luke's writings, uh, we read the moment when all of this comes together, when the angel says, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. You bear with me tonight. I've preached 22 times within the past 30 days, so my voice may be just a little weak. So if you can help me up there, sound man, just do the best you can do. The, the angels speak that day and says this is the fulfillment of every prophecy that has ever been spoken. Could you imagine with me tonight the excitement uh, 
that they must have felt uh, because this Savior had finally made his arrival. For over 700 years, uh, the prophecy of Isaiah had withstood the test of time when he said there's coming a day when a virgin is going to conceive a son and his name is going to be called Emmanuel. And the reason for this excitement was because they understood that this Savior was going to be more than just a Jehovah from the Old Testament, but he was in fact going to be God manifest in the flesh. It was going to be just more than a God whom they read about, but this was going to be God manifest in the flesh. This Savior was going to come and walk among them, and when he came to this earth, he came with one goal in mind, and that was to die for the sins of humanity. I've come to tell you, Jesus later said, you have not come to take my life, but I lay it down willingly. He looked one day and said, the reason I've come to this earth is that you might have life and have it more abundantly. The reason why he stepped off of his throne and robed himself in flesh was because he wanted to give himself as a ransom for the sins of mankind. I've come to remind us he came to this earth for one reason and for one reason alone, and that was to die for the sins of every person who sits under the sound of my voice. And because they understood the prophecies of old, excitement began to fill the hearts of those people because this Savior was finally here. This Savior had finally made his arrival. They had read about him. They had talked about him. Their fathers worshipped him, but now they stand in a moment in the fulfillment of every word and every prophecy that had been spoken. Centuries of prophecies and centuries of depictions, they all came together on the day when Jesus took his first breath. This Savior the angel spoke of was finally here. This man named Jesus was going to be the one who was in fact going to save his people from their sins. And even though the first 30 years of his life was relatively quiet, all they were doing was building a foundation for the final three and a half years of his ministry to launch off of. And now we see that 30 years has passed and he begins to walk in the fulfillment of his ministry that he was going to perform and the Bible says he calls 12 men unto himself he calls 12 disciples 12 men who walked away from everything they loved men that walked away from their livelihood they walked away from their jobs they walked away from their homes they walked away from their daily routine of life because I've come to remind us if you're truly going to be a follower of him there's always going to be things that you've got to leave in your past. I'm not going to be able to go as fast as I want to because of my limitation of my voice, but we've got to, we've got to hear this. The Bible even goes so far to tell us that after he calls these 12 men into himself, the Bible says he imparts to them the power against unclean spirits. He gives them power to heal all manner of sickness and disease. And for the next three and a half years, these men spend every waking moment with Jesus. For 42 months of their life, from the time the sun came up to the time the sun went down, they walked hand in hand with Jesus. In fact, there's times when we can read a 
about when Jesus would call them together and he would begin to impart unto them the things pertaining to the kingdom month after month, year after year, day after day, week after week. These 12 men were almost inseparable because when you saw Jesus, you saw the 12 disciples. When you saw the 12 disciples, you saw Jesus. And if anybody knew the heartbeat that Jesus had, those 12 men did. And if anybody knew about the love that Jesus had, those 12 men did. If anybody knew that he had come to be the Savior of the world, those 12 men did because nobody knew him better than those 12 disciples. Not a person, no one else. No one knew his thoughts or his actions better than they did because they were the ones that were with him continually. They were continually in the presence of Jesus. They were in continually the presence of God manifested in the flesh. I've come to remind us that Peter and Andrew knew him. James and John knew him. Philip and Bartholomew knew him. Thomas and Matthew and Thaddeus and Simon knew him. I've come to remind everybody that Judas knew who Jesus was. So many times we always focus on the other 11 disciples, but the fact is Judas knew just about uh, knew just as much about Jesus uh, as those other 11 disciples did. We always try to th throw Judas off to the wayside somewhere and say, well, he followed from a distance. Uh, but I've come to tell you, uh, he received the same power and he received the same authority uh, as the other 11 disciples did. Uh, he had the authority to lay hands on the sick. Uh, he had authority uh, to cast out devils. Uh, I would go so far as to say uh, that Judas probably laid his hands on somebody uh, and somebody was healed. Uh, he probably at one point in his ministry, uh, he cast out devils. Uh, he was there just along with the other 11 but we forget the fact is that Judas was there just as though the other 11 was he was exposed to the same power and the same authority he saw Jesus perform miracle after miracle he saw him turn water into wine he saw him raise the dead he saw him calm the sea he saw a man that was possessed with a devil be sitting and clothed in his right mind he watched as a woman with an issue of blood who had it for 12 years how she was instantly made whole the moment she touched the hem of his garment Judas, I've come to talk about you tonight because you were the one that was there along with the other 11 when he gave the authority to preach and heal. He was there along with the other 11 when Jesus began to pour into them the things pertaining to the kingdom. Judas stood there that day when Jesus looked at the scribes and Pharisees and said, before Moses was, I am that I am. I could take you down every road that Judas walked in every moment that he had with the Savior. But the sad fact is, the only thing we remember about Judas is found in Matthew's gospel when it tells us that he sold out Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. The fact is, as I begin to read that text, there's no doubt probably almost everybody in this house automatically went to the end result of Judas. 
automatically everybody probably in this house when you hear of Judas, uh, you automatically think uh, of him selling out Jesus for 30 pieces of silver and all of a sudden throwing the money down uh, and hanging himself. Uh, but I've come to tell you, uh, Judas was there hand in hand uh, with Jesus just like the other 11 disciples were. We don't remember that he was there during the miracles. Uh, we don't remember that he was there for three and a half years. Uh, but the only thing we remember is that horrible uh, and horrific picture that Luke paints for us uh, when we see Judas swinging lifelessly from a rope and being disemboweled because the rope broke. He sold him for 30 pieces of silver. The Bible says that they coveted with him or they reasoned with him. There's not a doubt in my mind, Pastor, that they did not start out higher than just 30 pieces of silver because they reasoned with him. They talked Judas down. There's no. They probably started out at 100 pieces of silver, Judas did, but they began to talk him down. They got to 75, and they said, that's too much. They got to 30 pieces of silver, and Judas scratched his head, understanding the weight of the decision he was about to make, and he said, I'll sell him out for 30 pieces of silver. In fact, to understand the weight of the decision that Judas made that day, you would have to backtrack all the way to the Old Testament to understand that the only thing that 30 pieces of silver would bring you in those days was nothing more than just a common slave. In fact, if you had a slave to die, Moses looked at the people and said, you're owed 30 pieces of silver. And Judas, the man who was there for three and a half years, the man that was exposed to all the miracles, even though he understood what 30 pieces of silver would bring him, he saw out the Savior of the world for the price of just a common slave. He sold him for the price of a slave because the fact is that's the only thing he saw when he looked at this man named Jesus. To further my point tonight and to get us to understand what I'm preaching when you begin to read the Word of God, you'll find out that Judas was the only one out of the 12 disciples who never referred to Jesus as his Lord or his Savior. He never referred to him as his Master because he never saw him in that manner. When the disciples began to gather around Jesus at the Last Supper and all of a sudden Jesus said, there's one among us who will betray me this night. And the disciples began to beg and plead. They began to say, Master, is it I? Lord, is it I? And Jesus said, the one that's going to dip in the cup. He's going to be the one that will betray me. And all of a sudden Judas looks at Jesus. You can read it in your Bible. And he looks at him and said, Master, will I be the one? And that seems contradictory to what I just told you. But when you actually begin to look at what Judas said from the Greek perspective, they tell us that when he said, Master, the translators used that word just to clear up any un un unfamiliar things that we were going to read about. But in fact, when Judas looked at Jesus, he really did not call him Lord or Master at all. But when he looked at him, he literally said, Rabbi, is it going to be me that will portray you? He only saw Jesus as just another common man of that day. When he looked at Jesus, God manifested in the flesh. He didn't see him as the patriarchs did. He didn't see him as the prophets did. He didn't see him as 
Moses and David and Isaiah saw him but when he looked at him he didn't see the savior of the world but the only thing he saw was just another common teacher of his day and the fact is if you strip it all away when he looked at Jesus he never saw him as a savior but he only saw him as a slave I've come to preach to this congregation and tell us that the day that Jesus decided to step off of his throne and robe himself in flesh, I've come to tell you that it was not because he desired notoriety. It was not because he desired fame. Because the Bible says he came and he was born in a stable and not some five-star hotel somewhere. The Bible said he came riding a, he, ride, came, he came in riding a donkey and he did not come riding a stallion because when he came to this earth he had nothing to prove to mankind. He had nothing to prove to us. But the Bible tells us of a day when Jesus is standing in the house of Zacchaeus and they looked at Jesus Jesus, and they said, why stand you here among this common sinner? And Jesus looked back at them and said, this is the day that salvation has come because the Son of Man has come to seek and to save those that are lost. Ladies and gentlemen, Jesus came to this earth for two simple reasons, and that was to seek and that was to save those that are lost. I've come to tell you, he didn't come. For any other reason than that. But God looked down at humanity. And he saw the need for a savior among them. And he said, if I'm going to do this right, he said, I'll go down and I'll do it myself. He said, I'll step off of my throne in glory. I'll robe myself in flesh. I'll endure all types of humiliation. I've come to tell us he came for two reasons. And that was to seek people. And when he found them, he was going to save them. I've come to tell you the reason why we can celebrate that we've got the spirit of God inside of us tonight is because there was a day when that man named Jesus came looking for you and the moment he found you he put his spirit inside of you and that's why we are able to feel what we feel and have what we have is because there was a day when he began to look for somebody I was in the state of Florida around this time last year I believe last August preaching the revival on that Sunday afternoon service or Sunday morning service rather I'd already preached. The altar call had already been given. Holy Ghost began to move. Holy Ghost touched people. All of a sudden, the pastor gets the microphone. He's running over a few announcements. All of a sudden, I'm sitting on the platform, Brother, Brother Pruitt, and I see out of the side door of the church, I see this car pass by. And all of a sudden, just a few moments after that, I see a police officer pass in behind or come in behind it. And all of a sudden, I'm sitting on the platform. And in my estimation, church is already over. As far as I'm concerned, God has already moved, left the building. He's already touched people. He's already blessed people. I believe a couple people got the Holy Ghost. And in my estimation, church is over. And we're about to shut this thing down. And all of a sudden, I see a couple look through the back doors of that church. And I see them beginning to look around. And I'm the only one that sees it. And all of a sudden, they begin to slide into the back door. They didn't stop at the back row. They didn't stop in the middle pew. But they came all the way to the altar. And they waved the preacher to come down the pastor. And they said, I do not know why. 
why I'm here. We're going to Michigan to try to find our children. But they said as we begin to pass by this apostolic church, they said, I can't explain it, but something took the steering wheel, and they made me turn in this parking lot. And now I'm standing at this altar, and I've come to tell you, we laid our hands on them, and they were baptized in Jesus' name, and God filled them with the Holy Ghost. You want to call it coincidence? I call it that there was a day when the Savior of the world said, I'm going to look for you in the moment I find you. That's going to be the moment that I save you and I change your life forever. I've come to tell you they were minding their own business and going down their own road, going to try to find their children. But I've come to tell you there was a day when the Savior began to look for them. And the Bible says he came for two reasons, to seek and to save. And he found them where they were. And somehow they pulled into that church and their life was forever changed. I've come to tell you, regardless of where we were, regardless of where we come from, regardless of our past and our background, there was a day that Jesus came looking for us. And I'm so thankful and I'm so glad that I allowed him to find me and put his spirit inside of me I would tell you that it was David who began to write and remind us that our God is our refuge and he is our savior it was Isaiah who looked back at Israel's cry from Egypt and he said because of their oppression God sent them a savior and a great one who delivered them Timothy tells us that he is the savior of all men but I like how Titus puts it because Titus sums it all up when he writes and tells us that he is the savior in all things I've come to remind everybody in this house that regardless of what you need in this house tonight he's the savior in all things if you need a saving from your past. He can save you tonight. If you need saving in your body, he can do it tonight. Regardless of what the problem is, regardless of what the circumstance is, he is the Savior in all things. Titus says, I could have written all the way through the list from A to Z, but he said, I'm just going to make it very easy and very simple, and I'm just going to tell you that he's the Savior in everything. When you begin to look at what he was saying, he says he's the deliverer in everything. A deliverer just from sin, yes, he can deliver us from sin, but it goes much deeper than that. He can deliver us from that sickness we may be struggling with. He can deliver us out of those circumstances that life may have thrown at us. He can deliver us out of that struggle that we find ourselves in tonight. I've come to remind this church that there is a God in this house, and I've come with good news. He's the Savior in all things, regardless of what you're may be regardless of what the problem is he's in this house and he's able to do exceeding and abundantly above all some time ago before I went full-time the month of March last year I worked at Ashley furniture in the warehouse for six years full-time the last four of those years I was lead man over the whole warehouse Come in contact with a lot of men that I work with. Gave many Bible studies to those men. Some came, some didn't. Some were baptized, some didn't come. Some would come to church, receive the Holy Ghost, and others didn't come. But I'll never forget one Sunday night, as I was working that night, all of a sudden one of my friends came up to me with tears rolling down his face. And he looked at me and he said, Agent, I know you're a preacher. I know that you believe in God. I know you do all these things. 
But as he began to tell me the story, he began to shake uncontrollably with tears rolling down his face. Almost, uh, He was almost sitting there, almost shaking without even being able to control himself. Uh, and as he gathered himself together just enough to tell me uh, the story that he wanted to tell me, uh, he began to share with me just a few months ago uh, or just a few months prior to that moment uh, how he had been three days without even saying one word to his brother. And he said, they may not mean much to you, uh, but he said, me and my brother never went a day uh, without talking. Uh, we never went a day without talking on the phone either by a phone call or text message uh, he said we've done everything together but he said one weekend uh, I went three days uh, without hearing from him uh, and he said I walked into his house uh, on a Sunday night uh, trying to find out what the deal was uh, and as he sat there with tears rolling down his face uh, he said I'll never forget what I found uh, he said because I found my brother lifeless on a couch uh, with a heroin needle stuck out of his arm uh, and he pointed his finger in my face uh, and he says you've got to tell me can the God that you serve get me out of what I've been in for months one of the most real questions I ever had to answer because he looked at me and he said I just got to know he said is that God that you talk about and that God that you preach about he said can he take away the hurt that I felt for months he said, because I've turned to everything that I can turn to. He said, I've turned to every drug. He said, I've put everything in my body just to try to bleed out the pain. He said, I've drank everything I could drink, and I pass out every night just trying to erase the pain. But he said, every morning I wake up, that hole is still in my heart. And he said, regardless of what I've turned to, regardless of what I've tried, regardless of what I've done, there's still a void inside of my heart. And he said, I've got to know, is that Jesus you talk about? Does he have enough power? power to save me? Does he have enough ability to help me? And I looked back at him and I said, Adam, I don't have some deep answer to give you, but I looked at him and I said, there's a Savior who came to this earth and he died for you. He shed his blood for you and he can touch you in this very moment. When we begin to pray in that factory, the Holy Ghost fell on him and the Holy Ghost done a work in his life. Because I've come to tell us the reason he came was not for notoriety and fame, but he came to seek and to save those that were lost. And unbeknownst to us, he walked in that factory that night and he was looking for Adam because he saw the situation that Adam was in. And he said, there's no way out of this unless you turn it over to me. And he come looking for Adam that night. And the moment that Adam recognized that, the moment that Adam saw that, the moment that Adam realized that there's a God who loves me and there's a God who cares for me and he's come looking for me this night, that was the moment that he found him. And in that same moment, he saved him and he changed his world. I've come to tell you it all happened when Adam saw him for who he was I've come to tell you that perception is everything when it comes to getting from God what you need I've come to tell you I made the statement before we ever started preaching that being in his presence is not enough and I know that ruffles some feathers of theology that we've heard all of our life uh, because I've heard people preach, well, if you can just get to the house of God, uh, I understand what they're saying, uh, but there's got to be more than just coming and sitting uh, somewhere throughout that service. Uh, you've got to make a heart connection uh, to the Savior that's in this house. Uh, it's not enough just to come in on a Sunday night uh, and hear music uh, and hear preaching uh, and have a little altar call and walk out those doors. Uh, it's got to take more than that. Uh, that's why Jesus looked uh, at the religious community that day uh, and 
said, you profess me with your mouth, but your heart is so far from me. It takes more than just sitting in his presence. There's got to be a connection. Because I would remind you that Jesus stood in the presence of those Jews. He was in the very presence of the scribes and Pharisees. And even though they had heard for years that Messiah's coming, the prophecy that Isaiah came, there's going to come a day when Messiah comes. And they were looking for Messiah to come. And Jesus looked at them and said, that Messiah that Isaiah prophesied about, I'm the one that stands before you. But even though he was in their presence, even though they were in his presence almost daily, they followed him everywhere he went just to point a finger at him. And even though he told them, I am the man whom Isaiah saw coming down the road, they never saw him for who he was. And they perpetually left the presence of God the same way they were before they ever came in. They made the mistake of not seeing him and because of that they missed their moment in fact their perception of him was so blurred that the Bible says the only thing they call him was a gluttonous and a wine-bibber I've come to tell you your perception of him will become a reality in your world that's why it said to the Jews a stumbling block because they could not fathom why in God's name with the God that our fathers worshiped. Why would he lower himself and walk among sinners? They did not understand why this God that was supposed to be so perfect, why would he come down and sup with sinners and walk with publicans and all those people? And all of a sudden Jesus one day got tired of that and he looked at them and he said, I'll tell you why I'm standing here. He said, they that are whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. He said, I have not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance and even though he told them that they perpetually left the presence of God the same way they were how many times have we asked that question how could people leave that service and never go back to the person they were before they walked in you ever been a a part of one of those services and the power of God fell so strong and the glory filled the house and God's spirit began to help people. And you could look at those services and you could scratch your head and say, there's no way people will ever be the same after that service. I've asked myself that question, how can people come into a church service and be in the presence of this mighty Savior only to leave the same way they were when they walked through those doors? I've come to tell you how in the world can we have an altar call in just a few minutes? How in the world can there be people who will come to this altar? And probably no doubt in my mind they are going to get exactly what God wants to give them. How can the power of God fall in our services? And there's always that group of people who connect what the, the preacher says. And they connect to the Spirit of God. And they get exactly what they need. And they walked out changed. But in the same service, in the same place, in the same presence, there's always going to be that other group of people who always leave the same way. I've come to tell you the difference between those who leave the same and those who leave changed is that somewhere in that service the people understand I've got to see him as being the one who has the answers to my problems. I've come to tell you it was the citizens of Nazareth that the Bible tells us they had the Savior of the world walking down their streets and the Bible tells us that he left that city unable to touch but a few because of their unbelief. How in the world 
could the Savior of the world walk down the streets of that city and Jesus has his hand stretched out ready to touch every person, ready to save every sinner, ready to heal every sickness. How in the world could God manifest in the flesh, walk among that city and be ready to touch everybody in that city? Because if you understand anything about Nazareth, it was the slums of that day. It was the place where poverty had taken over. It was the place where prostitutes hung out. It was the place where the drunks hung out. It was so bad that when somebody heard Jesus of Nazareth they said can anything good come out of Nazareth because Nazareth was notorious for being a place where all the problems were and the day came that Jesus said I'm going to walk right down the middle of their problems and he said I'm going to extend my hand and I'm going to be willing to save every person I'm going to be willing to heal every person but the Bible said because their perspective of him was wrong. They looked at him and they said, is this truly Jesus, the son of Joseph, the carpenter's son? Their perception of him was wrong. And the curse of Nazareth that day was that they only saw Jesus as the son of a carpenter and not the son of God. They only saw him as a common carpenter and not the uncommon Christ that was prophesied about. They only saw him as being merely mortal and not being the immortal God that Isaiah prophesied about. They only saw him as a man with flesh and blood but they failed to realize that beyond that flesh and blood was a God inside of that body who is able to meet every need but because they did not see him he walked out of their presence and they remained the same I've come to preach to us tonight and tell us that everything that you need in this house can be found in him. But you'll never receive that if you fail to see him as being the one who can give you exactly what you need. Some time ago, before I went full time, I want to help us tonight and let, let you understand exactly how real this is. Before I went full time, one afternoon, I believe it was Friday, I was at work, walked by a young man who had just started working there with us. I felt the Holy Ghost kind of prompt me to go over and ask him to come to church. And walked over there to him. I said, hey, man, how's it going? Kind of made small talk. But then I asked him, I said, man, I said, you just moved from such and such town. He said, yeah. I said, did you go to church anywhere? And he said, man, I really didn't go to church. And I said, well, I'll tell you what. I said, won't you come to church with me this weekend? And he looked at me and said, I really can't go this, this Sunday morning, but do you have church that night? And I looked at him and I said, yeah, we have church that night at 630. I'll come pick you up. I pull up in this parking lot that night to pick him up. He runs out to the door and knocks on my window. I roll the window down. And he says, hey, is it okay if my girlfriend and her mom comes with us also? And I said, man, pile them in here. We'll, 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 we'll fill this Pathfinder up. And, I mean, they get in the car. We go to church. And it was one of those Sunday night services. You know, the Spirit of the Lord was moving. It was hopping. People was dancing, shouting, doing all that crazy stuff we Pentecostals do. And, I mean, the Holy Ghost was moving. And God was really touching people. God was really ministering to people. And they sat there and did not move. They sat and watched. They were in the same service, in the same power of God. They felt the same thing. And they watched as people got out of their seats and began to get things that they needed from God. They watched as two people received the Holy Ghost for the first time. They watched as two people went down in Jesus' name, baptism. And they were in the same service, but nothing happened. Shortly after that, I went full time. Went to the state of Florida to begin to preach. One Sunday afternoon after service, my wife calls me. 
He says, hey, you know that guy that you invited to church about a month ago? I said, yeah, what's going on? He said, she told me. She said, his girlfriend was in the altar this morning, and God filled her with the Holy Ghost. She calls me that Wednesday night. And she said, you remember the guy that you invited to church? I said, yeah. He, she said, he was in the altar repenting, and he's being baptized after church. The next Sunday, she calls me. She says, hey, you remember the mom of the girlfriend? I said, yeah. She said she was baptized, and God filled her with the Holy Ghost. And now two of her sisters are coming, and they're being baptized tonight. And after I got through preaching in Florida, I'm at my home church on a Wednesday night. And she comes up to me after church, and she says, I've got to share something with you. She said, it may seem strange. You may not understand it, but I've got to tell you what happened to me. She says, you remember the first Sunday night I came? She said, I sat in that pew, and she said, I watched as people began to leave their seats, and she said, I watched those people had all the joy in the world in their life. She said, I watched as they began to lift their hands, and they began to worship, and all of a sudden, they began to speak in that language that y'all speak in, and she said, I sat and I watched, but nothing happened. And then she tells me, all of a sudden, that next Sunday, she said, I'm sitting there again. And she said, all of a sudden, it begins to happen again. She says, people begin to move. The spirit that y'all talk about all the time begins to move. And she says, I see people beginning to move, and they begin to get what they need from God. And she says, all of a sudden, something happened to me. And she said, I walked to an altar. And all of a sudden, I felt a power come inside of me that I've never felt in my life. And I looked at her and I said, Susan, that was God's spirit coming inside of you. And she said, but the thing that I've got to tell you is that the reason I did not move that first Sunday I came is because while seeing all those other people shouting and celebrating and God touching them, she said, I truly did not believe that that same God who touched them loved me enough to help me. And she began and she exposes to me the cut marks uh, and the burnings uh, that she had done to herself. Uh, and she said, because I've done this to myself, uh, I did not believe uh, that the same God who loved them loved me enough to walk into my life and help me. But she said, as that Sunday night rolled around, and that spirit began to move, her words, she said something happened. And I finally saw him the way everybody else in that church saw him. And I looked at her and I said, that's the difference between leaving the church the same way and leaving the church different. I said, because it takes more than just coming to the house of God and sitting there and saying, well, I went to church. But there's got to be a connection between you and the God who's walking in our services. And the moment that she saw him as being the Savior of the world that he wanted to be to her, I've come to tell you, he walked in that house the first time looking for her. But because she did not see him, he could not give her what she want, he wanted her to have. But that night she made a connection and she understood that this God loves me just as much as he loves all these other people. He came looking again. But the moment she made contact. That was the moment that he found her and he saved her. The moment she finally saw him for who he truly came to be. That was the moment that her life was forever changed. 
the moment she made up in her mind, I will not put limitations on him. And I will not restrict him. But maybe, just maybe, this God really does have exactly what I need. Maybe this God really does have the answer to my questions. Maybe this God really can get me out of the mess that I find myself in. And I've come to tell you, that is the difference between those who leave the same and those who walk out completely changed. The Bible tells us that before Jesus is crucified, the Bible says Pilate does something very, very interesting. The Bible says that he looks at those crowd of people, that crowd of people, and says, I'll let you choose who you want to allow to live and who you allow to die. The Bible says on one side is Jesus of Nazareth, but on the other side is a prisoner named Barabbas. The Bible says Pilate looks at that crowd that day and says, who do you choose, Jesus the Christ or Barabbas? But if you were to read manuscripts of exactly what Pilate said before the King James Version was ever printed, There's documents even today that you can read that tells us that Barabbas also had a first name. And because the translators did not want to cause any confusion, they omitted it out of the King James Version. But if you were there that day and you saw Pilate stand there, you would have heard him say, who do you want me to release to you? Jesus the Christ or Jesus Barabbas? Because Barabbas also had a first name and it was Jesus also. And Pilate looked at those people that day and says, who do you want to allow to live in your life? Jesus the Savior or Barabbas the slave? Because they did not know who stood before them. The Bible says the crowd began to cry, give us Barabbas. But what they were really saying was, just let me live with the slave. And you can take the Savior. Let me live with just that man in my life and don't allow the Savior to live in my life. Let me just live with somebody who cannot help me and you take that Savior off to be crucified. And Because they did not understand who stood in their midst, they left the same way. As we stand in this house tonight, the fact is, Pastor, every time we come to the house of God, Jesus is presented to every person who sits on these pews. Every time we come to the house of God, whether it be Sunday night, Sunday morning, Wednesday night, revival, service, prayer meeting, every time we come through those doors, he's being presented to us. And the reason people can come into his presence and leave unchanged is because they do not really see him as being the very thing they need. Judas was in the presence of Jesus for three and a half years, but he never truly saw him for who he really was. Jesus became John's revelation, and he became Peter's restoration. He was Thomas's reality, and he was James's brother. He was a healer to the sick. 
deliverance to the bound. He was salvation to the lost and a friend to the lonely. And even though Judas was there in the midst of it all, he never saw him as his Lord or Master. But he perpetually left the presence of God unchanged because he failed to see him as the solution that he needed. He failed to see him as the Savior that he came to be. The fact is, it doesn't take a very spiritual person to understand that in every service we come in here, there's going to be people that are represented among us who have things in their life that only the Savior of this world can handle and help us with. In fact, there may be people in this house tonight who when you walk out of these doors, you're facing things that you cannot control. In fact, there may be people in this house tonight needing a miracle in your body. There may be a he- needing a healing in your mind. There may be people in this house with family problems and shattered homes. We don't know the extent of all the problems, but the fact is uh, there's not a person in this house who cannot lift a hand and say, I don't have a need of some sort in my life. But I've come to tell you that there is a God in this house right now who has every answer to every problem. He has the breakthrough to that situation you're in. He has the healing in your body. He has the salvation for your soul. But you will never receive that unless you first understand that he really does have the answer. As we lift our hands all over the house, I really feel the Holy Ghost moving in this house. Come on, I ask you in this house, what do you see him as? 